Adam Crowley. Come with me, and you'll see. It's a world filled with all the meat that you want. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Tom Wilson will not be watching the banner go up tonight from the ice. He'll be watching from the press box. Should be watching from a jail cell. He's been suspended a whopping 20 games by the National Hockey League. Good job, NHL Department of Player Safety. Although, wait a second. Had they suspended him 20 games a couple of suspensions ago, maybe Oscar Sundquist would have a freaking head today. It's too late. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Brian LaMartina is back. He's sitting across from me. Shirtless Tom behind the glass in the quarantine room. Brian is very sick. I am now starting to pick up some of the sickness. I think I'm in the early stages. Wes, who does stuff for SNR, is sick. KDO has been hanging around us. She's sick. Alex is probably faking it, but he says he's sick. I think we should play a little game called Pass the NyQuil and see if we can all stay awake for the three-hour show. We also call that Halloween, and we're dressing up as Jamarcus Russell. I ain't going to say that the NHL Department of Player Safety did a great job here. Yeah, they got it right this time. They needed to get it right before. Zach Aston Reese's face explodes in the playoffs. He gets a couple of games. He should have gotten a 20-game suspension then. He was suspended twice in the same preseason last year. Maybe you slap him with a 10-gamer then. But no, you wait, Oscar Sunquist loses his head, he slashes a guy immediately after Sunquist's head comes off, and now you finally give him the 20 games. This is what should have happened before. I'm not going to pat them on the back for doing their jobs. This just in, the loser of the Falcon-Steelers game ain't making the playoffs. Which means we got ourselves our first playoff game of the year coming up on Sunday at Heinz Field. The 1-3 Atlanta Falcons, NFC champions of two years ago, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, paper champions since 2015. Who's going to come out on top? Who's going to come out as a playoff team? Because the loser ain't. And I'm telling you right now, first to 60, uh, they win this game. First team to punt loses. If either team turns the ball over, it's done, which is why the Steelers need to find themselves a damn stake in running game. Maybe the Steelers won't fall behind multiple touchdowns in this one and then pull it close and then collapse again at the end. That seems to be their identity. On Savern on Sports a couple days ago, Stan said, I don't know who these Steelers are. They don't have an identity. I do. I know what their identity is. I know who they are. Start slow, get hot in the middle, finish slower than they started. Bada-bing, bada-boom, 2018 Pittsburgh Steelers. And really, it goes back to last year. 
The two times that they've played at home this year looks exactly like the Jacksonville playoff loss from last year. You fall behind 21 against Jacksonville. You fall behind by 21 against Kansas City. You fall behind 14 against the Baltimore Ravens. The way that this team, Atlanta, plays offense, if you fall behind, they're not going to stop scoring. Baltimore decided to stop scoring touchdowns and just start kicking field goals. They're really good at that. And the Steelers could hang around for a little while. Kansas City's defense is atrocious, and at least the Steelers have played Andy Reid and his offense enough in recent years to think, okay, maybe we can slow him down a little bit. They ain't going to be able to slow Atlanta down at all. You get down 14 nothing, you get down 21 nothing. it is over. Fast start, a huge key in this game on Sunday. I brought this up on the show yesterday, did not spend enough time on it. If it's time to fire somebody on the Steelers coaching staff, it's time to fire Joey Porter. I hate calling for people's jobs. It's something that we do in this industry. I've never really felt comfortable with it, especially not whenever I've known people. I know Joey Porter. He's a good dude. He's a hard worker. But T.J. Watt has 10 career sacks and six of them are against Cleveland, and he's only got four in the rest of the league. Now, that ain't good enough. Bud Dupree has 16 sacks in his entire career as a Pittsburgh Steeler. Jarvis Jones had six in 50 games. Watt hasn't been cited since the Cleveland game. If you do see him, please call 412-922-2874. Bud Dupree is just a guy. They need to get pressure on the quarterback, and it starts with the outside linebackers in a 3-4 defense. Stephon Tewitt's got to be better. Cam Hayward's got to be better. But the outside linebackers, holy hell, show a flipping pulse. The Steelers cannot afford for T.J. Watt to go the Bud Dupree route. They cannot afford for him to go the Jarvis Jones route. Now, I think he's better than those guys. He's already better than Jarvis Jones. He's already better than Bud Dupree. But he was brought in to be a star, not just a good player. And I don't know if Joey Porter can massage him into becoming that star. The defense needs impact. And it might just take one guy. But they need that guy maybe to be T.J. Watt. And they need to find somebody who can extract that talent from him. I don't think it's Joey Porter. Think about what's happened since Ryan Shazier's been lost. Steelers are giving up 1,000 points a game. That's one guy. He makes that big of a difference. If T.J. Watt can become a 14-15 sack kind of guy, he can make that kind of difference. But he's never going to get there if Joey Porter is his teacher. And maybe you don't fire him today. Maybe you wait till the end of the year. But if you were going to fire one person today, if you had to, if you aren't ready to say, you say someone's head's going on the chopping block, that's my guy, that's my head. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Hockey starts tomorrow. I realize it actually starts tonight, but I ain't watching the Stanley Cup ring ceremony. Are you? I really want to watch Ovechkin skate around with that damn thing. He did it all summer, drunk most of the time. Now he'll be sober. I don't want to see that. At least with the drunk Ovechkin, the drunk Washington Capitals, there's some entertainment value there. I don't want to see... The Capital One Center going nuts for their Stanley Cup champs. No, thank you. I'll start watching the league tomorrow. Unless I find out Boston's winning, then I'll flip it on. Even though I hate Boston, too. I'll watch tomorrow. Latang, Murray, Kessel, and Broussard need to be better. 
I put that out on Twitter today, and I got eviscerated. Smacked over the head with some ignorance. Penn's fans think that they know better than me. Spoiler alert, you don't. I've been watching hockey my whole life, and yeah, maybe you have too, but I'm on the radio, so trump card me. Crowley, why are you including Kessel in that group? He had 92 points last year. He had 34 goals. It was the best year of his career. You know what? You're right. Until it wasn't, until he was a colossal disappointment in the playoffs. One goal in 12 games for Phil Kessel. If he does that again this year, the Penguins are not winning the Stanley Cup. When you're paying a guy $6.2 million and you expect him to score goals and you expect him to lengthen the lineup and you expect him to be the power play guy, he better be all those things. Because if he's not, it's a wasted 6.2 because he ain't playing defense. He ain't coming back on the back check. Phil Kessel was hurt. I understand that. But there comes a time when you need to determine whether you're too hurt to help your team. And Phil Kessel, over the course of the regular season, decided that while he was hurt, he was going to put his streak of playing games ahead of the team. I love Phil Kessel. The Penguins don't win in 16. They don't win in 17 without him. They might not make the playoffs if Phil Kessel doesn't have 92 points last season. That's how close to the line they were. But it was selfish behavior down the stretch to not pull himself out of the lineup. Had he done that, had he sat down for a week, week and a half, He's healthy for the playoffs and likely leads the Penguins farther than they wound up going. Phil Kessel absolutely needs to bounce back this year. Not from the regular season, but from the postseason. And he also needs to battle back with a different mindset. Chris Letang was not good last year. He needs to bounce back. I don't know if I trust that he will. Chris Letang is an innings eater, if you will, a minutes eater. He'll be playing alongside the Penguins' best defenseman, Brian Dumoulin. But they're so deep now that I'd like to see Chris Letang not have to play as many minutes. Keep him low, around 20, 21, 22 a night. Not up around 26, 27, and 30 on occasion. Just because he says he can do it, just because he's such a well-conditioned athlete doesn't mean he should do it. It's better for the team if every one of those defensemen plays similar minutes. And the Penguins have three solid defense pairings. Latang's the guy that I don't trust. If I'm ranking him, I'll go Kessel, Broussard, Murray, Latang. Broussard's a really good hockey player. How could I not have faith in that guy? Yes, he didn't play well in the playoffs last year, but he was hurt at the end of the regular season. When he comes back, he's got new line mates. And he still was not 100%. He has not told the media yet what his injury is. And it's because it was that severe. I'm guessing it had something to do with the testicles. Torsion, maybe. It was a groin injury. But he wasn't the same guy when he came back in the playoffs. And he wasn't the playoff performer that he'd been over the past decade with the Rangers and the Senators. That guy's a stud when it matters the most. That guy's hard to play against when it matters the most. We hadn't seen that from Derek Broussard yet, but I sure as hell know it's in there, and I love the line he's going to start the season on. Brian Russ, defensively responsible, goes to the net, creates space, can retrieve the puck. Dominic Simone is always on the right side of the puck. Very smart hockey player. Sidney Crosby said he's one of the five smartest on the team. I think Broussard, with that pairing, with that line, 
will have himself a good year. Matt Murray? He had a 923 and 937 save percentage the previous two playoff runs. This last year, 908. It's not good enough. I don't care if you've got Sidney Crosby and 16 Phil Kessels. If your goaltender's only stopping the puck at a 908 save percentage clip, you ain't winning the Stanley Cup. It ain't going to happen. The question is, can he rebound? I think he can, but I'm not as confident in that as I am as Kessel and Broussard bouncing back. Matt Murray's still young. He's going to have his inconsistencies. He's been an injury risk in his first couple of years here in Pittsburgh. Who's to say that's not who he is? Why would you just think it's the 923-937 save percentage guy? This year's a big deal for Matt Murray. Can he prove that he's that elite goaltender that he was his rookie season? Or is he more the guy he was last year? His father passed away. He was dealing with injuries all season long, including a concussion towards the end of the year. If that gets wiped away, maybe he's better. So here's the order for me. I want to know yours. In order of trust for bounce back, Kessel, Broussard, Murray, Latang. We got Colby Armstrong coming up at 5 o'clock today. I'm jammed up about that. Former Penguin, former fan favorite here in Pittsburgh. Little dude who used to mess people up. Remember the Hal Gill trade? And they kept showing the highlight of little Colby Armstrong trying to fight Hal Gill. I don't think that went well for Colby, but hey, it shows his toughness. He'll join us to talk about the Penguins, who needs to bounce back. How the offseason helps. All that coming up at 5. Coming up next, I'm going to rip all y'all for defending Phil Kessel as vociferously as you do. And do you really believe Le'Veon Bell will be back by week 7? Are we going to actually start taking this guy at his word now? It's a Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Hey, I'd like to place an order for pickup, please. Can I place an order for pickup, please? Everything's done at the window, sir. At the window? Yes, sir. It's fast food service. That's funny. I thought the flyer's window closed. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. I said that there are four Penguins that need to play better this year than they did last year. And when I sent the tweet out today on the dot com at underscore Adam Crowley, people were not happy with me because I mentioned Phil Kessel. Crowley scored 92 points last year. How dare you? He's an American. He eats hot dogs. We love Phil. He's got two Stanley Cups. He scored one goal in 12 playoff games. He had three even strength points in 12 playoff games. And even to take it one step further, the Penguins' power play last year was the best in the history of the franchise. And this is a franchise with Yamir Yager, Mario Lemieux, Paul Coffey, et al. And last year was the year they had the best power play. And it's in large part because Phil Kessel was great on the power play. He had six assists on the PP in the postseason. But that number is misleading. Watch the games. As the playoffs wore on, Washington was collapsing their PK unit towards Phil when he got the puck. Usually teams would stay away from him. He's such a great distributor of the puck, you want to make sure you take away the passing lanes. Well, they were all 
collapsing on him because he couldn't handle the puck. He was chopping it up. You ever go to Benihana and you see what they're doing with the shrimp and the chicken? It's delicious. You walk out of there smelling just like the food, but it's tasty. That's what he was doing with the puck. Chop, 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 chop. He looked like Connor Sherry, not Phil Kessel. So he wasn't good enough. And I just got bombarded, like this one from Sean. Kessel deserves credit for his production. Unlike his treatment in Toronto, us in Pittsburgh respect offensive production. In the playoffs for the two years preceding last year, he was great. His offensive production through the roof. Last year in the regular season, his offensive production through the roof. They don't make the playoffs if he doesn't play as well as he did. But in the postseason, he wasn't good enough. And look, I sat here and spit into this microphone back then that Phil Kessel deserved a break because he was arguably their MVP in the playoffs the two years prior. But that doesn't mean that he can't improve upon what he did in the postseason last year. If he is the guy he was the two years prior to last year in the postseason this year, if he's healthy, if he's good to go, if he's productive like that, the Penguins have a chance to win the Stanley Cup again. If he's not, if he scores one goal, if he has three even-strength points, they're not going to succeed. I don't care how many Matt Cullens you bring in. I don't care how much depth you have. You still need your stars to be stars, and he wasn't in the postseason last year. That's reality. Daniel says, stop talking about it. It's like certain media members think that fans are going, I changed their view of Kessel. Yes, he wasn't good, but he was a major part of them even being there. Give it a rest. Why does everyone have to defend Phil Kessel and pretend like the playoffs last year didn't happen? It's okay to be critical of him when he's not playing well. It doesn't mean that he's not one of my favorite players of all time. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a hero for the Penguins in their back-to-back cup years. It means he wasn't good enough last year. And what gets me is that Mike Sullivan said he wasn't hurt. Jim Rutherford says he was hurt. But the fact that they were disagreeing about that, the fact that we were having the conversation even, was because Phil Kessel didn't play well enough. That's a reality. It's fish in a barrel with this Phil Kessel, man. All you got to do is say something somewhat negative about the dude, and people jump up your ass. And here's the thing. I think out of those four, Kessel, Broussard, Murray, and Latang, Phil Kessel's the most likely guy to bounce back from the bad playoffs of last year. Because Phil Kessel did have 92 points in the regular season. Phil Kessel was excellent when healthy. If he's healthy in the playoffs this year, he'll bounce back. But part of that has to do with taking care of himself. He is so prideful of that Iron Man streak of going out there every other night and lacing it up and trying to snipe the puck past the goaltender that even if he was hurt, he wouldn't pull himself out of the lineup. That's detrimental to the team. Mike Mitchell used to talk all the time about how tough he was. And his teammates used to talk about how tough he was, but he was always playing hurt and therefore was not good enough. At a certain point when you play through injury, you think you're being tough, but you're really being selfish. Got this one from Michael Claus. Okay, stick WVU football. That's more your speed, Adam. Having Kessel on this list after having his single best season, 92 points in his career, not to mention 34 goals. L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O
It's like we block out the playoffs. Russ says, really reaching there. How's it a reach? He wasn't good enough in the playoffs. You hear this all the time. Matt Cullen's going to add to this team's depth. Zach Aston Reese on the fourth line. Daniel Sprong on the fourth line. Riley Shane is your fourth line center. They bring in Derek Grant. This team's got so much depth. Depth this, depth that, depth this, depth that. We're always searching for depth, right? You want to have great depth of knowledge. You want to know the deeper meaning of life. But depth is a little bit overrated. You want to have stars. And sometimes you need the depth to replace the production of said stars. Yes. But... If Phil Kessel doesn't play well in the playoffs, if Evgeny Malkin plays poorly in the playoffs like he did last year, and that was clearly because he was hurt, because in the first series he did play well, if you got that kind of production from your stars, then it doesn't matter how many Grants, how many Cullens, how many Shans, how many Zach Aston Reese's, how many Sprongs in the fourth line you have, you ain't going to win. So I'm not reaching. Kessel needs to be better. Malkin needs to be healthy. Crosby needs to be healthy, and you might think that these things are common sense, but the way that a lot of you are talking about Kessel leads me to believe that you don't understand what you're talking about. 412-922-2874. Tweet me, at underscore Adam Crowley. Colby Armstrong going to be coming up in about a half hour here on the show. He'll be doing it every Wednesday. It's October. It's puck season. Who better to talk puck with than Colby Armstrong? Le'Veon Bell talked to none of his teammates since he's decided to not show up at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex. Who he has talked to, though, is Jeremy Fowler. And we spoke to Fowler yesterday on the program, and he says Le'Veon says he'll show up week seven. It's going to be the bye week. One week of practice, we get a next week of practice before the Browns game. Should be good to go. Should be up to speed. But the question I have for you is, do you believe... Le'Veon Bell. His agent said before, and I'm paraphrasing here, that something big came up. And that's why Le'Veon Bell decided he wasn't going to come to the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex at the beginning of the year. Well, what if something big comes up again? What if there's some cataclysmic event that comes up again? I tend to believe him. It makes sense week seven. Because of what I just said about the two weeks of preparation as compared to the one week last year, it also makes sense in terms of tolling a year off the contract. He needs to play a certain amount of games to be able to do that. And by showing up week seven, he allows for the Steelers to put him on the exempt list for two weeks and still be able to toll that year against the CBA. So I believe it. It makes sense. But I'm a little weird. You think Marquise Pouncey's counting on him to be back week seven? You think Mike Tomlin's like, yeah, this guy's really coming back? You think anybody feels good about it? Probably not. One of the things people have been saying is Steelers don't need Le'Veon Bell because 10 quarterbacks in this league have a completion percentage of 67 or higher, quarterback rating over 100. Do you need to really run the ball? Is it necessary in 2018? I think it is. And I think it absolutely is for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers use play action less than any other team in football. 
You don't always have to have a great running game to get play action going, but it certainly doesn't hurt. I think the Steelers need some of that in their game right now. They're one-dimensional. They're predictable. They're one of the more inconsistent offenses in the league. Ben Roethlisberger sure leads the league in passing yards, but third down conversions were a problem last week. They haven't scored in the second half in two straight games. Getting the running game going, getting some of the predictability out of the offense, I think it'll help in that regard. I think it'll help you punch the ball in in the second half. How important is running the ball in 2018? Well, let's break down the numbers. That's right. We can do math here on the Crowley Show. Carolina is first in the league in running. They're 2-1. and one. They were in the playoffs last year, largely on the back of running the football. Cleveland is number two. They are on a playoff team, but they just scored 45 points. They're playing better football than they have in years, and running the ball is help. Denver, number three. They're 2-2, two and two, but they just gave the Chiefs their best run of the season. They look like they're a pretty darn good football team. Dallas is four. They can't throw the ball. Their only offense comes from the ground. You have to have a little of both. Washington's fifth. They're in first place in the NFC East. No one saw that coming. The Rams, the Chargers, the Bears, they all round out the top ten. So I think running still matters. Mike Leach was speaking the other day. He's a total nut job. And they won a game with 432 yards passing and zero yards running. I think that's an anomaly. I don't think you can win consistently like that. Look at the air raid offenses in the Big 12 now. West Virginia runs the ball. Oklahoma State runs the ball. Two of the more successful programs of late in the Big 12. Oklahoma runs the ball. TCU runs the ball. You have to be able to throw... Obviously, in 2018, it's why Dallas stinks. But you also have to be able to keep the other team off balance. It doesn't mean going 50-50, but maybe 60-40, maybe 65-35. You have to have the threat of running the football. It doesn't have to be a top-10 unit for you to be great. And you can continue going down the list, yet just have to have the threat. You have to have the ability, and when you've got a lead, it helps to be able to be able to Turn some yards out and roll the clock down. Running still matters, no matter what the experts say. Sure, there are more passing yards through week four than in the history of the league. Sure, that's led to more points through week four than in the history of the league. But it's about moving the football. Balance for balance sake is stupid. It's tough to be one-dimensional and win games, though. You have to be able to run when they take everything else away. Play action is valuable. Tom, who would you say... Or if you had to name two or three of the most creative offenses in the league. Kansas City, L.A. definitely are one and two. Let's start right there. Kansas City, this year they haven't been great at running the football, but they're going to keep at it. They think that the charade of being able to run the football is important. That's why Kareem Hunt's a stud, and Kareem Hunt played really well the other night. Yes, the Bears, they've got two great backs. Matt Nagy, same kind of dude. He comes from the same system as Andy Reid. He's a disciple of Reid's. Then you think about the Rams. Everyone talks about how great the Rams' offense is, how forward-thinking Sean McVay is, and then out of the other side of their mouth, they say, oh, running the football is not important. Well, if you think Sean McVay's at the cutting edge, avant-garde, when it comes to designing football plays, if you think he's an offensive genius and then say you also don't think running the football is important, you're kind of contradicting yourself. Because that guy, the guy who's on the cutting edge, 
he understands you need to hand the ball off from time to time. And they're top 10 in the league in passing and in running the football. Now, it helps to have a guy like Ty Gurley. It helps to have a guy like Kareem Hunt. But running's important. Think about where the Saints were for the better part of the last five years. They weren't a good football team. They're getting blown up on the defensive side. Drew Brees was getting hit a lot, and he looked like he was aging. Last year, Alvin Kamara comes in. You've got Mark Ingram. You've got a two-headed monster. What do they do? They turn around and hand the ball off to those guys. And all of a sudden, they're a play away from the NFC Championship game. Running matters, which means Le'Veon Bell matters, which means when he comes back week seven, Steelers should plug his ass right the F in. James Conner ain't cutting it anymore. 97 yards, 3.03 yards per carry, 32 attempts since the Cleveland game. In the Cleveland game, 31 rushes, 131, 4.4 yards per carry. When the league's figured you out, you got to do something different. It's time for the Steelers to adjust back, but barring that happening, the best course of action for the Steelers when Le'Veon Bell comes back is to give the all-pro son of a bitch the ball. And he is a son of a bitch. And they might not love him in that locker room. You might not love him as fans. I know you don't. But he gives them the best chance to win. I heard Stan and Jerry talking earlier here on ESPN Pittsburgh. And you can catch Stan from noon to 2 right here on these very airwaves. And Stan said, well, what if the Steelers are 1-4-1 and when Lev comes back? Do you even bother with him? I think that's absolutely when you need him. If you are 6-0 and when Lev comes back, you can have the conversation. Are we better off without him? If you're 1-4-1... and when Ben Roethlisberger's only got maybe three years left of his career, you need to try to salvage the season and get your ass in the playoffs. Le'Veon Bell gives them the best chance to do that. So whatever the circumstance may be, they're not going to be in a great spot when he returns. Give him the ball. And he'll have had two weeks to prepare as opposed to one week the last two years coming into the season. Or the last year, pardon me, coming into the season. Here's the other under-discussed topic as it relates to Le'Veon Bell. By week eight of the season, everybody's banged up. Everybody's bruised and beaten and taken unprescribed painkillers. And here comes Le'Veon Bell, fresh as a daisy. I mean, his head's huge. I don't know if it's going to fit through the door. He's going to probably bump it off the top of the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex. That could cause a problem, but he's healthier than all of them. I think that gives the Steelers a little weapon in their arsenal. Question is, though, at 412-922-2874, if you actually believe Le'Veon when he says he's going to show up in Week 7 or Week 8. Coming up next, this Penguins roster is as good as any in franchise history. Why it matters, why it doesn't. It's Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Axon. 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 Oh, no. Oh, it's on the nipple. Axon. 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 He went from the bottom. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. I want to personally apologize to all my snowflakes out there who love the show, listen to the show regularly. 
for the unprofessional baseball segment we did at the end of yesterday's program. I could not name a Colorado Rocky. And then they were introducing the team prior to the game on ESPN, and I realized I can name all the Rockies. How are they good? Matt Holiday is like 75 years old. He's still playing for them. Not only that, apparently Matt Holiday was like working for the MLB Network's like radio station just in July of this year, and then decided like, you know what, I kind of want to come back to baseball. The Rockies signed him and gave him a couple starts here and there towards the end of the season, and then they started him in their do or die wild card game last night. Why is that like a Disney movie that I feel like Kevin Costner should be in? Oh, you know, like they pull right the old guy eye. out, he all of a sudden wins a pennant. They One last ride. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it so baseball that he got a double last night, too? Yes. Like, I thought yeah. he was going to get a home run, to be honest, but I- I'll settle for a double. It's for the love of the game, Matt Holiday edition. <laughs> I'm in for that movie. I was rooting for them to lose because I didn't know any of their players, but then I realized I knew most of their players, <laughs> yeah. and then I was happy that they won. Now, tonight, though, we all got to be rooting against the A's because none of us have heard of them. I mean, they got Chris Davis, but it's the other Chris Davis. It's not the awful Chris Davis in Baltimore. No, it's this. It's the K-H-R-I-S Davis, not the C-H-R-I-S in, Davis. In fact, they should be switched. <laughs> the one in Baltimore should have the K in front of his name. Just make it a backwards one. <laughs> Tom Wilson's been suspended. 20 games by the Department of Player Safety in the National Hockey League. It was posted on... Well, everything, but on Instagram, Chris Letang, K Letang underscore 58, he liked it. And this is because tomorrow the Penguins open their season at the Consol Energy Center. What are we calling it these days? The PBG Paints Arena. And it sounds like they're going to all leave the game with their heads intact. I know, doesn't usually happen that way. Just ask Joe Rokicki, or pardon me, Zach Aston Reese, whose jaw exploded in the playoffs last year due to a hit from Tom Wilson. Now, TJ Oshie can be a douchebag, and he can get into some stuff, but he generally is just a dirtbag in the playoffs. Tom Wilson, dirtbag all the time. Consider this. This is from Adam Gretz on Twitter.com. He says, in the Department of Player Safety era, only five players, including Wilson, have been suspended four times total. Again, it should be noted that all four of Wilson's have come within the past calendar year or 105 games. Even Rafi Torres spread them out over a couple of years. Rafi Torres, I think, is the poster child for the Department of Player Safety. And even Tom Wilson has surpassed Rafi flipping Torres. Matt Cook was a douchebag and always seemed to play the victim card when he got suspended. Tom Wilson's probably... About to play the victim card here, isn't he? Well, the rules aren't easy, and when you're going 100 miles an hour out there, it's tough to make contact with this area, that area. It's tough to know really where you're going. He's a reckless, vicious, dirty hockey player, and the Department of Player Safety is now acknowledging it. Too late, but they're acknowledging it. I wonder if the Homer fanboy Capitals media is finally acknowledging it. He's not dirty. He just plays with an edge. That's what you get, right? He plays right up to the line, and sometimes he'll stick his toe over the line. No, sometimes he'll stick his foot up your ass. He's a good hockey player. He's good on the PK. He's got wheels. He'll go to the front of the net. 
but he's a human missile and a human piece of trash. He's a trash missile, Tom Wilson. Boy, are the Penguins probably jammed up that he won't be playing on Thursday night. You know who's playing for the Penguins on Thursday night? Brian Dumoulin. He's back. Didn't think he'd play. Thought it was going to be Ricola. But he'll be the seventh defenseman. How deep is this flipping hockey club? Colby Armstrong joins us in 10 minutes here. We'll discuss with him how deep this hockey club is. It doesn't always matter when you're deep. 1993 was the deepest Penguins team of all time, maybe, and they lost to the Islanders in the playoffs when going for the three-peat. 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013 Penguins were all deep, solid hockey clubs, and each of them was eliminated from the playoffs unceremoniously. 2013 might have been one of the best teams in Penguins history, and they got swept out of the conference final. Being the most talented team doesn't always matter. I'd rather be that, though, than a team that has to sneak in and be Cinderella. But think about last year. Kessel, Murray, Broussard, they all disappointed. Gino was hurt in the first series. The rest was history. I'll be watching this Penguin season on pins and needles all year long because the only thing that matters is health. Penguins struggled to make the playoffs last year. I don't think that'll be a problem this year because they've rested all offseason long. I do worry, though, about being healthy in the playoffs, and there's really nothing you can do about that apart from... Phil Kessel, when you're actually hurt in the regular season, maybe take a seat, you selfish jackass. But there's nothing you can do. It's all luck. You need to be healthy in the playoffs, and you got to get a bleep ton of luck. you got to get a bleep ton of bounces. That's just the reality. you got to be lucky and good. And you know what? It'd be nice to see Penguins not have to play Washington in the second round. But it's going to happen, and that's a coin flip. Penguins might be the deepest team in hockey. Penguins might have the best roster in hockey, but it's not by leaps and bounds. Therefore, a team like Washington, you play them seven times, it's going to come down likely to game six or seven. And then it's all about bounces. It's all about who makes the play here, who makes the play there, whose goalie gets the butt end of their stick, Marc-Andre Fleury, on the Ovechkin shot. This season will be fun. They all will be with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Soak it in. Enjoy all the moments. But at the same time, in the back of your head, fingers crossed, you need all these guys in the playoffs. Here's what they're throwing out there on opening night. This is just sick. Gensel, Crosby, Hornquist. (laughs) Ha, studs. 24 goals between those three in the playoffs last year. Haglin, Malkin, Kessel, line two. People have said Haglin's overpaid. With $4 million a year being his salary, yeah, you can eat my shorts. Haglin's a stud, really good playoff performer. He's a great penalty killer, and he's perfect on that line. Simone, Broussard, Rust, line number three. Hello, Daddy. Broussard, you hope, and I'll get into this later in the show, that he can be what Lars Eller was for the Capitals last year. Lars Eller, in 24 playoff games as the third-line center, and he moved up and down the lineup at times, had 18 goals or pardon me, not 18 goals, 18 points in 24 games. That's all you need from this guy. That's all you need from Broussard. Rust is a clutch dude. Any line he's on is a possession-dominating line. And as much as a lot of people don't like Simone, he's always on the right side of the puck. He always goes to the good areas of the ice, the offensively-oriented areas of the ice. I like that line. And then your fourth line, if it's Cullen, Shea, and Sprong, you're getting points. The Penguins... Last year, coming into the season, had Greg McKegg, something called Greg McKegg, 
as the third-line center and Carter Rowney as the fourth-line center. Are you freaking kidding me? This year, they've got five centers. Last year, they had two. Crosby and Malkin that belonged in the NHL. Carter Rowney ain't an NHL player. Greg McKay ain't an NHL player. Now you got Crosby, Malkin, Broussard, Shane, Cullen, and in a pinch, Gensel could do that too. So you got five and a half. That's not a comment on the size of Jake Gensel. You've got Dumoulin, Latang, Alexiak, Schultz, Mata, Johnson, Rikula is going to be your seventh defenseman. Chad Riedel is your eighth defenseman. That's some serious freaking depth. And if you lose a Crosby or a Malkin, or you lose one of your top defensemen over the course of the season, that's where depth helps. Because you can tread water. You can still pick up some points. In the playoffs, it's harder. But depth will help because players who are injured will come out of the lineup, and those guys can move up and make some things happen. It's a damn good Penguins team. I'd pick them to win the Stanley Cup, but it's talent plus luck. They're the best team in hockey right now. There's no doubt in my free in mind. Let's see if they're the best team in hockey five months from now. Jesus. Coming up next, Colby Armstrong to discuss this Penguins wealth of depth and which player does he think has the best chance of bouncing back among Broussard, Kessel, Murray, and Latang? More football talk around the corner, too. It's Crowley Show. Budweiser wants you to drink wiser. And here's the thing. 74% of you already choose to stay in control instead of overdoing it when you're out with friends. So order a cheeseburger before a big night. Have a glass of water alongside your beer. The good news is that most of you are already making the right choice. But what would be even better is for everyone to drink wiser. Enjoy responsibly. Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser Beer, St. Louis, Missouri. <coughs> Jesus. Shut up. <clears throat> You're not sick. I'm sick. Stop pretending. I think he's faking it just to get attention. Yeah. No, everybody's paying attention to Brian. He's sick. Well, I'm sick, too. Yeah. Is it worse for everyone to be sick at once, or is it worse for Brian to get better, and then as he gets better, I get sick, and then as I get better, you get sick and kind of do the dominant if, if thing? If everybody's sick, I'm not getting better. Oh, shoot. That's a good point. 